Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. Well, today, perfect power for imperfect people. Pentecost Sunday. I shared a little bit that with you uh, during our offertory time. This day is universally accepted. Now, that's pretty unusual. Across all denominational boundaries, guidelines, and groupings, this day is the birthday of the church. It was on this day as the disciples gathered in the upper room after Jesus had instructed them and waited, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and the church was launched. Pentecost Sunday. Again, the term Pentecost comes from the word 50. It was the feast following the resurrection or first fruits, seven Sundays after Easter, Pentecost Sunday. We're here to celebrate and recognize what does this mean. I want you to know I'm not going to give you a history lesson today. I want us to understand how does this impact me today. I have some really good news for you. Pentecost Sunday is not a history lesson at Calvary. It's a present day experience. How many can say amen to that? This faith that we find here in the book of Acts is still alive today. I want to be very clear about this. Here at Calvary and and with uh, millions around the world today, we understand that everything you read in the book of Acts, everything you read in the New Testament is still valid, available, and happening today. How many are thankful to know that today? The same God, the same Jesus, everything you read in this New Testament account, the book of Acts, the historical eyewitness account of the church is available to us today. The miracles are still happening. Can you say amen to that? God is still saving people, healing people, and baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. He is still building His church. And the church you read of in Scripture is the church He is building today. And I'm so thankful here at Calvary that we've not shifted in what we believe and what we experience from what we see in this word, you are in a New Testament church today, believing, experiencing, and preaching everything the Bible preaches. Can you say amen to that today? I'm thankful for that today. So we look at this day, this, this day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was outpoured in that upper room. This was the day, this day we're celebrating, is the very day when God's perfect power filled imperfect people for the first time. This is where it all began. This is where this this concept, this truth that a perfect God can come live in the hearts and empower the lives of people who are imperfect. And let me make sure you understand that. Well, pastor, how does that happen? How could a holy God, how could a perfect God, how could an all-powerful God come to dwell, feel, and empower imperfect people like you and me. Let's just make sure I'm preaching to the right crowd and I don't need to just stop now and go home. Anybody in this room still under construction? Okay. Hmm. I must ask again because I know you didn't hear what I asked you. Because Is anybody in this room still maybe not perfect? Could I see your hand? Okay, thank you. That So, so why then? How? Let me say Does a perfect, holy God come, dwell, live, and empower imperfect people? How does that happen? Well, there's only one way it happens. Because we are not made perfect, righteous, acceptable, and holy in our own strength or ability. The only way that we receive this incredible empowerment, this encounter of the Holy Spirit, is because Jesus went to the cross and paid your debt and mine. And the perfect one died for the imperfect. And he gave to us a salvation that's not based on works, but based on grace. How many are thankful that we've been saved by grace according to Ephesians 2? Not according to our own works, not our own righteousness, but by grace. Jesus paid the price. And then 2 Corinthians 5 literally gives you and I the title. Those that have come to Christ. We didn't earn this grace. We didn't deserve this grace. Somebody here needs to stop trying to earn Jesus. 
Someone listening to me needs to stop trying to impress him and just plead guilty and receive the mercy of God. Anybody with me today? That's the church of the Lord Jesus. And so how would this perfect God empower imperfect people? Because we were made acceptable through the blood of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says we become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Do you know that when you ask Jesus to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, become your Savior and your Lord, God looks at you as if you had never sinned. Come on. He looks at you as if you had never sinned. He has wiped that slate clean. And the way that a perfect God empowers imperfect people is because Jesus paid the price. So today, I want you to get ready to receive everything God has for you. Stop looking at yourself. Come on, let's stop right now. And let's get our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Let's stop trying to figure out, am I good enough? Have I earned it? Did I do the right thing? If you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've done the right thing. You're accepted in the Lord. Come on. How many born-again believers in the house? I, you're, come on. Look at the person next to you and say, good morning, righteousness. Come on. Give them a, give them a word. <laughs> good morning, righteousness. Come on. So in other words, everything we read. I know some of you had to say that by faith. I saw your face. But listen, if God can do it, we can receive it. Amen? Yes, we can. So we're ready. We're ready. Say, I'm ready to receive everything God has for me. We need to know how this works. So it was on this very day that in that room, that upper room, perfect power began to indwell imperfect people. Why were they there? Look at Acts chapter 1. I know you forgot. Thought I forgot about that. Let's go to verse 4. Acts 1 verse 4. So on one occasion, this is following his death and resurrection during those 40 days before he ascended back to heaven. On one occasion during this time, we read, uh, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The question is, are you going to establish an earthly kingdom right now? Are you going to overthrow Rome that's ruling us? Are you going to bring an earthly kingdom right now? Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. How many times over the years has somebody told us Jesus is coming back and gave us the date? Come on. How many ever heard that story? Remember 88 reasons he's coming in 88. Anybody remember that book? How many have been saved long enough since 1988? Some of you weren't born in 1988. But a guy wrote a book and, and he said 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. He missed it. So he said, quit worrying about God's business. Did you hear what I just said? Quit worrying about what God's going to do. Quit trying to figure out with the mind of God and just do the last thing he told you to do. We can do that, can't we? Can't we do that? So he says, this is what you need to pay attention to, verse 8. But you will receive what? Power. When? When? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so they were there in Jerusalem doing what he said, praying in an upper room. Now, I want to read the eyewitness account of what happened. This isn't conjecture. This isn't mythology. This isn't Jewish fairy tales. This is the eyewitness account universally accepted for over 2,000 years of what happened on the day the church was birthed. The day perfect power came to indwell imperfect people. Now, I'm going to read some lengthy scripture right now. I want you to stay with me and concentrate. I know we live in a culture now where five seconds is a long time. But I want you to concentrate. Are you with me? Let's not just pick and choose and cherry pick our scriptures. Let's read this. I want you to follow along with me, please. It's on the screen behind me. You have your, your devices. Let's read about this day that we're celebrating. Chapter 2 of Acts, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's what Jesus had told them to do. Someone say obedience. Okay. 
verse 2, suddenly. Now, it happened suddenly, but they weren't there suddenly. This was a divine order of God. This moment, think of this, that looked suddenly to them had been planned before Adam and Eve were created. Now, are, you th- are you with me right now? This moment we call a suddenly had been planned before the human race was ever put on this earth. The Bible says Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. The plan of God. This was an ordained moment. Let me help you with something. Every once in a while, you're going to look around and say, wow, that just suddenly happened. I have some good news for you. God's been planning that moment in your life for a long, long time. God's totally in control. It looks like a suddenly to you and me, but God's been working every detail, every order, everything, so that what you need, when you need it, will happen. You didn't get lucky. You didn't hit the lotto. You didn't go to Tunica. Somebody didn't just happen to think about you. In the wisdom and timing and planning and purpose and prophetic plan of God, He ordained a moment in your life where everybody said, I don't know what happened. I was going this way and suddenly everything shifted in my life. Anybody listening to me right now? Some of us need a suddenly today, don't you? You've been praying. You've been waiting. You've been believing. And you can't see how it's going to happen. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll obey God, you have some suddenlies in your future. You have some moments that will turn everything. I'm preaching way too fast. Let me go on. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw it seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on a few of them. Good, you read. Then look at verse 4. What's the first word? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. How do you speak in other tongues? As the Spirit enabled them. Why do you speak in other tongues? Because the Holy Spirit enabled them. How in the world, over the centuries from then to today, has the church, some of the church, said that tongues is not of God? When did God ever change who He is and what He does? When did God ever start something and not end it? When did God ever initiate something and not ordain it? If we speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit enables us, then I would say to you today, the God that enabled them to pray in tongues then is the God who enables us to pray in tongues now. And if it was of God then, it's of God now. Why do we stumble over praying in tongues from the God who parts red seas, since manna from heaven raises the dead? Come on. If he can do that, what's the problem with that? Who whom of us, who of us would think I could pray better than God could pray? That I would know more about tomorrow than he knows more about tomorrow. And if that same God would graciously, by his spirit, enable me to pray beyond my capacity, then I say to him and to you today, oh God, may it happen today and tomorrow and the next day and every day for the rest of my life and in your church and every church. Now, verse 6, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why were they there? Again, strategically, prophetically, on this feast where Jews had gathered from the known world, God chose to do this as a witness and an example. When they heard this sound, what? Praying in tongues, the blowing of the mighty wind. When they heard this sound, they gathered together, or a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard them speaking in his own language, utterly amazed. They asked, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? Was this emotional gibberish? Was it babbling? Was it foolishness? They were speaking an intelligible language. This language was supernaturally enabled to the speaker. The crowd recognized that. They said, this isn't isn't natural. This is supernatural. These guys are all local Galileans. And yet they're succinctly, perfectly, intelligently praying in tongues our own language. Now, we read in 1 Corinthians 13 when we pray in tongues, it may be of earth or of angels, heaven. God's unlimited as his tongues pray through us. 
So then how is it each of us hears them in his own native language? We have the list of those gathered. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. What did they hear as the Holy Spirit was supernaturally enabling these local believers to pray? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now listen to me. They weren't preaching. They were worshiping. I've heard it mistakenly taught that tongues was for the original church to go preach. There is no record in scripture of preaching in tongues. They were praising in tongues. They were worshiping in tongues. Everybody with me? It was an enablement to worship God. We hear them what? Declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Let's keep reading. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now, there will always be these guys in verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. But watch this. Verse 14. Then, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice. And when Peter began to preach, he stopped speaking in tongues and began preaching in his language. All right? So he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I guess then it's kind of like now. The only time they ever saw anybody get happy in the presence of God, they thought they must be drinking. Well, let's go on. We got so many dead churches that if life ever comes in, they don't know what to do with it. But let's keep reading. Verse 16. And some of them say they're Pentecostal, by the way, but let's keep reading. Verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, now he goes to the word. He goes to the word. The spirit and the word always agree. How many heard what your pastor just said? The spirit and the word agree. So he says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, come on, church. I will pour my spirit out on whom? All people. I love the generations, your sons. And your daughters will prophesy. If you got any prodigals, you need to write their name down right there in your Bible. And stop calling them a prodigal. Stop saying they're a heathen. Stop saying it's too late. And start speaking what God says and say, my son and my daughter will prophesy the word of Almighty God. My son and my daughter say, I will see it. Come on, say it out loud. I will see my son prophesy. I will see my daughter prophesy. I will hear them prophesy. The devil is a liar. You have authority over your family. Your children belong to the Lord. They were sanctified in your womb. They belong to him from the millisecond they were conceived in your womb. My son, my daughter will prophesy. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. I have some good news for those of us who aren't as young as we used to be. Come on. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. Your young men are going to have vision. Your old men are going to dream dreams. It just gets sweeter as the days go by. Come on. Though the outward body may be wasting away, on the inside we're growing stronger every day. No, I know 100, 800 Jenny might help you. I know the gym might get you in shape. But I believe there is a lifestyle of godly living that will put strength in your bodies. Proverbs 3 says, if I lean not to my own understanding, but acknowledge him in all my ways, it will be health to my body and strength to my bones. I believe in the name of Jesus that you're alive to serve him, bless him, and your latter years shall be greater than your former years. Why? Because we're not a natural people. We're a supernatural people according to the word of God. Man, I like this church. You like this church? I like this church. Have mercy, Jesus. Every generation, sons and daughters, moms and dads, grandma and grandpa dreaming. Verse 18, even on my servants, 
both women, men and women. Listen to me, millennials, Gen X, Gen Z, the most liberating, all-inclusive, empowering of women in the history of the human race happened in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When women were anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy in the New Testament church, listen to me, it was unprecedented in human history. In the culture of that day, a woman was property. A wife was property like something in the house or cattle in the field. But Jesus came in and said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. You want to know what empowers a woman to be at a level that nothing ever gave her? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, the devil doesn't have it. This wokeism doesn't have it. This mess we're walking in today doesn't have it. Confusion of your gender identity. Confusion of who you are. I'm telling you there is a godly empowerment of men and women, of young people, of generations, of elderly people. Why? Because this is not a natural church. It's a supernatural church. And all the devil has is counterfeits and lies to falsely give you what God has promised you from the beginning. I like this church. (laughs) Verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. He's preaching of the very last days of revelation. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Look at verse 21. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, oh, Peter's rough. He's rolling right now. Come on, look at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. How was he accredited by God to that skeptical generation? Here it is. He was accredited by God. How? By miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Church, we have never lived in a more antichrist, skeptical, jaded culture than the one we live in right now. Do you think our arguments, do you think our divisiveness, do you think our name calling and finger pointing are going to convince a wounded culture that he is the son of God? I don't think so. But I believe his supernatural power, living, working through his church, will once again demonstrate who he is to such a degree that they have to say, he is of God. He's the son of God. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. Come on. This is Peter who denied Jesus. This is Peter who said, forget this apostle stuff. I'm going to go back and fish. This is the man who was afraid and hid. Now he's standing up. Can, can, can honest, he's burning some hide right now. Come on. Can I tell you the truth? You know, he wasn't winning friends and influencing people. He wasn't trying to make everybody happy. He said, you killed him. You killed him. You crucified the son of God. I mean, come on. And, and, and then he says, but God. Somebody say, but God. <laughs> See, this is the church of but God. But God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now drop down with me to verse number 36. I've taken a little long, but I want you to see the church. This is the church that we belong to. Come on, how many are thankful for that today? This is who we are. This is our DNA. This is our ancestry. This is our legacy. These are our spiritual mamas and daddies. Are you with me right now? This is who we came from from this is our dna let's drop down to verse number 36 he's winding up this message therefore let all israel be assured of this god has made this jesus he tells him again whom you crucified both lord and christ when the people heard this they were cut to the heart that's conviction do you know when you speak the truth in love people see truth Do you know conviction is still something God does? How many are with me today? 
You know, our job's not to make everybody happy. It's to speak the truth. Hopefully, they'll come to Jesus. We want to love people. How many hear what I'm saying? Don't be argumentative. Don't be ugly. Don't be judgmental. Don't be critical. But tell the truth. Tell the truth. Give the Holy Spirit something to work with in the lives around. God has made them. So the people heard this and were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then what happened? And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. Here's the generations again. The promise. Someone say, the promise. Say, my promise. See, it's for you. Okay, how long is this valid? It's for your children, all right, the second generation. It's for all who are far off. It's, it's now he's, he's moving into the future. It's for all whom the Lord our God will call. I asked you earlier, how many born again believers in this room today? If you've been saved, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you've been saved, the promise is intact for you. Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Have mercy. What a beginning. What a launch. <laughs> what a healthy baby born in the delivery room of an upper room on that day. What transformation. What power. What awe. What a beginning. And it was only the beginning. You and I have to understand, this wasn't the best day. It was the first day. This wasn't the highest amount of power available. It was the seed of all that would be available. As you read this historical account, as you see the word, as you see the promise, as you look at scripture, you and I have to understand that this isn't the spiritual big bang theory or trickle down economics where everybody at the top gets it and then there's just a little left as time goes on. Jesus has not lost his power. The Holy Spirit has not diminished. The church is not less than it was. The same promise, the same power, the same working is available to us today. Have someone say, I'm, I received that in my life. I received that. It's been confirmed over and over and over again against the martyrdom of that early church. Against persecution, against complacency, against compromise, the church keeps growing. It's powerful and it's amazing. And every succeeding generation must have their own upper room. How many heard what I just said? Every succeeding generation must have their own upper room. I pray here at Calvary that we're holy ground, that we're an upper room. Come on, anybody agreement with your pastor on that? That we're our upper room for this generation. But this begs the question. When we think of this. This beginning. Where we are today. And only 120 to begin. What was in that upper room? What was there? What was in that upper room? That brought such incredible harvest. That we're a part of today. That was so dynamic that. 2022 years later. We are still seeing what God is doing. What was in that upper room? Let, let me answer that with a couple of things. Let, let, let's make sure. I've said to you, and I want to repeat it again. This series is perfect power for imperfect people. This is not history lessons about those who were. This is who God is right now. This is what he does right now. Are you with me? This is what's available to you and I right now. So we, we need to understand. We need to say, what was in that room? What caused that is, is there anything about that that relates to me today? Okay. Let's, if it doesn't work today, it doesn't work. How many heard what I just said? Okay. So I think the first thing that was in that room was trust and obedience. Someone say those two words, trust and obedience. Do you know your greatest act of faith today is just to obey God? Do you know you don't have to feel it? You don't have to vote on it? Just do it. Just do it. What was in that room? Trust and obedience. 120 people had heard him say, go pray until. 120 took what he said. More than that heard it. But 120 said, I'm just going to do what he said. Now you think of that moment. They were still very unstable. There was still much 
animosity in that city, Jerusalem, that had crucified Jesus. The Pharisees hadn't changed. The, the tide that had turned against Jesus had not changed. They were unpopular people. The disciples, we read about them twice after his, even after the resurrection, were hiding behind locked doors. But in the face of uncertainty, everybody, anybody ever been uncertain about your future? In the face of their weakness, we surely aren't enough to face this challenge. Anybody ever felt weak before? In the face of uh, what we could call fear, anybody ever been afraid before? But can I give you some good news today? Even when you're afraid, even when you feel weak, even when you're uncertain about what's going to happen, you can make a decision to do what God told you to do. You can obey what God said. You can trust Him. And I'll tell you what was in the room that day. And I'll tell you why they were filled that day. It's because they chose to trust and obey. Can I tell you something today? You're closer than you think to the next outpouring in your life. You're right now walking through maybe fear or insecurity or or something that's unstable. But if you will trust Him and do what He said, God's going to back His word in your life. What was in the room that day? Think of that. The church was in that room. Everything that would happen on this planet in the name of Jesus, think of that, was in that room that day. Every person who has ever been saved, the hope of this world was in that prayer meeting that day. Think of the billions of people who've been saved since then. Their hope was in that room. Think of every deliverance that's happened. Every drug addict that's been delivered. Every person rescued out of hell. They were in the room that day. The hope of every church that has ever been created. Calvary, I've got good news for you. The seed of Calvary was in that room that day. Every missionary that's ever been sent out on the mission field, the seed was in the room that day. Every deliverance, every breakthrough, every miracle, every healing, everything we've ever seen happen was in the room that day. Aren't you thankful somebody prayed? Aren't you thankful somebody obeyed? Aren't you thankful someone gave God the opportunity? I want you to see that everything that has happened through the church was in the room that day. Somebody said, God, we're just going to believe you. Remember I read to you the generations were in the room that day. Your sons and your daughters, your young men and your old men, you and your children and those who are far off. The, the, the genders were in the room that day. I've already spoken about that. Men and women would be treated equal in the eyes of God. The races, the races gathered around that room today. We read the list. Every country in the known world was there. Can I tell you something? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ that was birthed in that upper room empowered by the Holy Spirit includes everybody on this planet. Every race, every culture, every tongue, every ethnicity, every gender is welcomed into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have to be honest with you. Think of this. He had been publicly preaching, teaching Jesus had For three and a half years, think of the multiplied thousands just in Israel that had encountered him. On one occasion, 5,000 men and their families, easily 20,000 people, watched him take one boy's lunch and bless it and just keep breaking it until they all were fed. On another occasion, 4,000 witnessed the same thing again. We have records where he would go into a city. Think of this. And every sick person in the city was healed. They came from regions and saw his miracles. A week before he was crucified, the whole city of Jerusalem rushed out in a triumphal entry and celebrated and praised him. But now is down to 120. Where were they? Where did they go? Do you know there may be moments in your life, listen to me, where it looks a little thin. It looks a little lean. It looks a little short. Anybody with me today? You, you could be tempted to look back. In fact, I, 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 I hear the Holy Spirit speaking to individuals right now. And you've said, someone has said this week, what's the use? 
Now, that's a word for someone listening to me right now. You've backed up and looked at all your prayers. Come on, I'm talking to you right now. You've looked at your witnessing and your praying and your giving and, and you're walking through a hard time and some people you trusted in have abandoned you and walked off from you. Some things you thought would happen didn't happen. The promotion you know should have been yours was given to somebody else. And you're sitting there looking at it. Someone you know and love is not well. And the devil wants to come up in your ear and say, what good did it do you? Where are all those people that you helped and you prayed for? Is anybody tracking with me right now? There are going to be moments where the thousands look like 120. But this is what I've learned in serving God, walking with God, reading his word. That small moments often precede huge harvests that come inside your life. Sometimes God's got to clear the deck. Are you with me? And get some junk out of the house before he can walk in and do what he does. If you don't think less is sometimes more, then go back and read about Gideon. He's got to fight this massive army. And God says, you got too many, Gideon. I can't work with the crowd. I need some disciples. Who heard what I just said? I can't get it done with the half-hearted. I need some whole-hearted. There may be days when all of Israel murmurs and said, we can't go in the promised land. And you look around and it's just Joshua and Caleb. But God's not intimidated by two or 120 or by 300 with Gideon. There are going to be moments in the eyes of man where you can't trust what you see. But you have to believe what he said. And if God... God has 120. That's all he needs is 120. Sometimes you got to put the crowd outside so I can walk into the room with Jairus' daughter and raise her from the dead. I can't do it with the mourners and the weepers and the criers and the doubters. I need to clear the house sometime where I can go in and do what God wants to do. There are some faithful people there. Who were they? Look in Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Come on, I'm going to end pretty soon. I know you're thinking, but I'm getting there. Acts 1 and verse number 12. It says, they returned to Jerusalem. This is, this, these were those in Acts 2 we've been reading about. They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day's walk from the city. That's about three-fourths of a mile is all you could walk on the Sabbath. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room. <laughs> Say the room. You know, sometimes that room looks pretty plain till the Holy Ghost comes in. Huh? Sometimes it looks real plain. But then he comes. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, another James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. There were 11. Judas Iscariot had left them. 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I love to tell my Catholic friends that Mary was a Pentecostal. Come on now. There it is in the Word. She's on the list. And chapter 2 says, they all, someone say all, spoke in tongues. Isn't that just something that Mary prayed in tongues? Well, let's keep going. I love it. So... Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Verse 15. Well, let's stop there. Verse 14. So, so these faithful people had gathered in that room, in that moment. I've talked a lot about Peter in the last few weeks. He's probably the poster boy, isn't he? <laughs> For per- perfect power and imperfect people. <laughs> this ex-fisherman, this impulsive, brash Promise maker and quick breaker. (laughs) Huh? But he was there in that room. My God. You don't have to raise your hands, but anybody here ever struggled with spiritual inconsistency? Anyone here has your mouth ever written a check that your life couldn't back up? (laughs) Have you ever been down here at the altar? Jesus, you got me. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Oh, Lord, I'm yours forever for the rest of my life. I make a vow. All I am, all I have, everything. Right down there at the altar. 
I don't know what happens in church parking lots. But some people leave the Holy Ghost in the house. I mean, you can't get to Longhorn or P.F. Chang before something has happened. I know none of you can relate to that. It's your uncle or your aunt or your cousin, you know, over there. That was Peter. But the good news is, see, here's what you need to understand about the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit isn't just comfort for us in our condition that needs to change. When the Holy Spirit's called the comforter, it doesn't mean that he comes and comforts you to live in your failure. He doesn't come to comfort us to live in our excuses. He doesn't come to comfort us as we continue to live a pattern of spiritual inconsistency. He comes to comfort us. What's comfort? Is comfort just enduring, putting up, repeating the same old failure? Or I think comfort would really be that I encountered a living God in my imperfect condition who put his perfect power inside my life. And where I was inconsistent and brash and, and making, making vows I couldn't keep, I have now been transformed from the man I was into the man I am becoming. And my comfort is not that it's okay, I'm, I've blown it again like everyone else. My comfort is this, that once I couldn't do it and now I can. That once I was inconsistent and now I became the rock that Jesus prophesied over me. My comfort is I'm not the man I used to be. Anybody in the house wants that kind of comfort instead of the putting up with kind of comfort. Oh, Peter was changed by that encounter. He stood up and preached. We read his sermon. He gave the first altar call. 3,000 got saved. He preached the first sermon to a Gentile in Cornelius' household. And they were saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. He became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Acts 5 says when he walked down the street, his shadow caused people to be healed. Acts 12 says they arrested him and they prayed him out of the jail. And the angel came and rescued him. And when he died, he didn't doubt. He didn't fear. He didn't run away from God. I told you last week, he said, if you're going to kill me, martyr me by crucifixion, then turn my cross upside down. I don't deserve to die the way my Savior died. You talk about a man that was wavering back and forth and lived the rest of his life a rock for God. It's Peter. Imperfect men receiving perfect power. That's who this church is. You can come as you are. And when I say this church, I'm not just talking about Calvary. I'm talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This church says, come as you are. No matter your baggage, your problem, your habits, your your addictions, your stronghold, and the power of God. Great enough to change you. Oh, who was in that room? Oh, James and John. You know them, those brother fishermen. Sons of thunder. (laughs) They preached, and if if the city didn't repent, they said, can we call fire down on the place, God? Just burn them up. Burn them up. But look what happened to John. God uses him to record the gospel of John. And then we get into the, to the, near the end of our New Testament, there are three epistles. First John, second John, third John. This son of thunder. This, this guy wanna, you, you know, he either gets saved or he's gonna hit you in the mouth. That kind of guy. Either you got saved or a fight broke out. And yet when you read the New Testament, nobody wrote about the love of God. Greater than John. First, second, third John. You know what a real man is? Look at me. Listen to me. You know what a real man is? It's not a man that says, well, you just know who I am. I've always just been this way. God just puts up with me. Everybody else has had to put up with you too. That's just the way I am. All my family got a temper. I've always been this way. My grandfather's this way. My father's this way. That's just who I am. I'm a man. I'll tell you who a man is. A man is a man that can come to God. And you may be angry and ugly and you want to burn everybody up by fire. But before it's over, you didn't become weak. You became stronger than you ever were in your life. And you began to walk in the love of God. You love people. Listen, it's easy to punch a guy. It's hard to love a guy. It's easy to cuss a man. It's harder to pray for a man. It's easy to say, that's just who I am. That's just how God made me. No, that's how the devil made you and God wants to remake you. 
the upper room changed John from a son of thunder to an apostle of the love of God. I could read the rest of the list. I don't have time of Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, Bartholomew, who went and preached the gospel to every known region of the world. All of them but John died a martyr's death. Why did John not die a martyr's death? You couldn't kill the old guy. He wrote the gospel of John. He wrote first and second John. And then what else? Third. Then, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, John. So you get this son of thunder and you can't get it. They put him on the Isle of Patmos. And there God gives him the book of Revelation. They release him from there and he goes back. And, and, and history says they tried to, they dropped him in a vat of boiling oil. And he stayed in there for a minute and just climbed out. Nobody bothered him anymore after that. The only one that died a natural death. Really, that's not a natural death. It sounds pretty supernatural to me. And then, you know who was in there? Matthias. You ever thought about Matthias? Maybe you can relate to him. I'm closing. Matthias. He was chosen by Lot to replace Judas in the twelve. What pressure. Can you imagine? He had to fill the slot of the greatest betrayer in the history of the world. He had to step into a role and fill a place of man's greatest failure. And yet you never see his name again. Never read about him again. One of the twelve. Evidently Matthias just stepped into the role. And was a faithful man of God. And your name may not appear in the records. And you may not be famous. But there's something about faithful that comes on a man. And a woman. That put, put John 7 and 5 up here. I'm, I want you to see this. It says Jesus' brothers were there. Well, so, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, John 7, 5. Can you find that one for me? I want you to look at this. This is, this is what we read about his brothers, his own brothers. Come on, I'm trying to find a place that you can connect. Look what this says. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. There's some people listening to me today. You've had trouble believing. You've struggled. Come on, how do you compare with that big brother? Jesus. You know, you talk about that. Your mama says, why don't you act like your brother? Come on, how did that work in that house? You just should act like your brother. Your brother never did that. Your brother never gave me that problem. How would you like to be Jesus' little brother? How would you like to grow up and go to school where he went to school? How would you like to live in the town where he lived? How would you like to navigate through the neighborhood where people said, so Jesus is your brother? Your brother? You don't look like Jesus to me. Anybody relate to that? You ever had somebody you couldn't live up to? You ever had faith you had a hard time? Listen, I'm talking to someone right now. You're trying to have your parents' faith. You're trying to have your wife's faith. You're trying to live in your grandpa's a preacher's faith. Jesus' brothers walked that path. They struggled believing. They were so close, they couldn't see he was God. They saw him. They knew him. Some of you have gotten so close to God, you've been inoculated in your faith. You've had just enough church to not believe anymore. You've seen just enough hypocrites to walk off and point your finger. You've had just enough family members fail you that you think you have an excuse. But I'm going to tell you, if you really get hungry and real, if you really get right with God, there's an upper room experience for you that's bigger than your big brother. That's greater than your family's faith or failure. That's bigger than any hypocrite that ever got between you and God. And when you walk into your upper room and encounter the power of the Holy Spirit, there is healing for your hurt. And there is faith for the places you struggle. God works like that. that, that that's who they are. It's, it's what we see. And I want to read this final scripture to you. So how did it happen with that group of people? Oh, Thomas the doubter. Remember doubting Thomas? Thomas the doubter the doubter he doubted after the resurrection but he walked into an upper room a doubter and he walked out an apostle that preached the gospel to the continent of India that's who he was there's old Matthew the tax collector nobody like Matthew the Jews hated him for collecting taxes for Rome Rome hated him because he gave the money back nobody like Matthew Matthew was a loner Matthew was rejected Matthew didn't have any friends the religious 
religious people told Jesus, don't go over to Matthew's house. And the sinner said, I'm not coming back to your house. You got preaching instead of partying now. Oh, Matthew walked along. But if you will walk into an upper room, you may walk in by yourself. But you'll walk out a woman of God, a man of God. We need this Jesus in our life today. I want you to stand with me and I want the uh, worship team to come. Come on, we're going to pray an important prayer. Please don't miss this moment. This prayer is for us today. See, you and I were in that upper room. How many hear what I'm saying today? You and I were in that upper room. Everything you walked through was in that upper room. Everything that you aspired to was in that upper room. Every dream you've had was in that upper room. The answer to every failure and shortcoming and bondage and stronghold. The reason, listen to me today. If Christianity is boring to you, you need an upper room. If you lost your first love, you need an upper room. If you no longer weep and rejoice and love Him, you need an upper room. Is anybody listening to me today? If you're going through the motions, you need an upper room today. If you've got a habit you can't break, you don't need to find someone else with the same habit and commiserate with someone else. You need to go to an upper room today. Your comfort is not that somebody else said it's okay. Your comfort is that God set you free. And something's in your soul bigger than that. I want to tell you the thing that will hold you back from God is a lie and a counterfeit. And if you'll find your upper room, you'll find something better than that. See, if you're still trying to look at this thing from a distance, saying, I don't know if I really want that. I don't know if I want this Jesus stuff. Listen to me. Everything you're trying to find out there, everything you're trying to get hold of, everything your life's trying to discover, is not found out of him. It's found in Christ. And his power to get you there. My walk with God today is not a hard, tempting journey every day where I'm wanting to go back. I've already tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now, don't get me wrong. I have some people that tempt me to want to act like I'm back there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've got some people that drain my anointing sometimes. You understand what I'm saying? But here's my good thing. I can have an upper room anytime, any place, anywhere. And this is what I know. When it starts being more of him, more of me and less of Jesus, I get in the upper room. God, I need something. God, I need something. When you're walking in the impossible situations, when I'm praying for my little granddaughter and it's been five years and I'm tired and I get impatient and I get frustrated, I've got to have an upper room. I've got to have an upper room. As much as Phyllis encourages me, man, she, she's a woman of prayer. Thank God. He knew what I needed. She's a woman of the word. As much as she puts in me, there are moments when nobody can help me but God. But God. Do you understand? But God. But here's what I know. I got up early this morning. I said, oh God, I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit again today. God, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. I can tell you, I said, God, Calvary, needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. I pray for every one of us in this room today. The danger is that we learn, we think we learn to do it without Him. We try to live on a fading experience when we can have one every day. Are you with me? Every day. God, I need an upper room. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.